the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Wednesday edition. I'm sorry, the Monday edition (laughs) of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I've already messed up the show, but I am filling in for Pastor Ron, my pastor, this week on the Word to Stand On for Life. I don't know why I said Wednesday. I tried to fast forward, but no, today is Monday. And the show will continue as usual. Now, if you're a regular listener on this show, you know that Pastor Ron takes uh, your Bible questions, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, questions about uh, uh, life and your marriage, and anything that we can do to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's why we're here. So in that way, the show will continue. So let me give you the phone numbers. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. There's a toll-free number also. That's 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. We've also got a, an email address. If you want to submit questions that way, the email address is questions at calvarysa.com. That's questions, it's plural, at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app to submit questions. You can use the KSLR app if you want to dial in. It's much easier, especially if you're in your car. You just hit the banner up at the top and it'll connect you right to the radio station where you can ask your question on the air. Okay, so I told you it's Monday. That means here at Calvary Chapel, it is our men's, women's, and youth Bible study night. A night where the whole family can come to church, but break out into their own Bible studies. And it's a neat thing. So tonight, I think it's Linda McMillan that is teaching for the women. I'll be teaching in Romans chapter 12. And then... Pastors Matthew and Pastor Chris, they'll be teaching the youth. Okay, so let me spend a minute here explaining why why I am filling in. So we had just come back from our men's retreat, but that's not why. Uh, Pastor Ron and Paula are out of town because Pastor Ron is quite the romantic, and he has planned a little getaway for their 50th anniversary. That's right, 50 years of being married, and Pastor Ron explained that they don't normally do anniversaries, but this one he really wanted to make special. So I spoke to him earlier. Both he and Paula have landed at their destination, and uh, they're in a nice place where they can relax and spend some time together. They're going to see their kids, so they're in California, but uh, they're going to get together with the kids' families, but they're going to spend some alone time together and alone time with Jesus, celebrating 50 years of God's goodness. And so he wanted me 
to to let the audience know that he loves you, he misses you, both he and Paula are praying for you and ask for your prayers for them. He will return here on the uh, radio show on Monday. So in the meantime, I get to fill in. That means this date day edition, uh, Thursday date day edition, will be with me and my wife, May. Uh, so, so both her and I will... We'll laugh at each other and talk about the Lord's goodness here on the show like we usually do when we fill in. That's Thursday. Okay, one more thing I do want to mention. For the men that are listening that went to the retreat, thank you. This was an outstanding time, knitting our hearts together, knitting our hearts together in the Lord, hearing your hearts and and watching the Lord do sort of a peeling away of the layers that you've built up. And so many men come up to me and to Pastor Ron and just effusively saying how much the, the retreat has really changed their life. And that's why we do that. It's not just a time to go off and, and play games. It's not a time to go and be outdoors, though those things happen. But it's a time where we sit without distractions, open up our Bibles, and, and we, we let the Lord deal with our hearts. One of the neat things that always happens at our men's retreats, and this particular retreat was no exception, is because we're away and there are no distractions, are able to be real and transparent. And what I mean by that is it's it's a time where, you know, there's a lot of guys that come up to their to the camp and, and they're just not used to it. But uh, as the studies go on and the conversations continue, you can really see the Lord working on hearts. And and on Friday nights, we sort of have the, the apex of our retreat time. And that's our afterglow, where the men are able to use their gifts to encourage one another, to build each other up. And also, there are quite a few men that have that were not saved coming to the retreat that became born-again Christians at the retreat. Oh, such a beautiful thing. And to those men, if you're listening, God bless you. Uh, welcome to the family of God. To the men that were there, that were already believers, uh, God bless you as well. You guys made it the best. And for you men that, that missed out, that were not able to come this time, uh, really pray about making it a priority next time. I understand there are circumstances where, that are beyond your control. And, and we will have the, the recorded studies uh, available online. That way you can at least hear about what the Lord is doing. The last thing I want to say about the retreat uh, Pastor Dan Lights from Calvary Chapel Oceanside was a real gift, a real gift. Uh, and, and the way that he came in and just hit the ground running, it's as, almost as if he was part of us the whole time. His heart for the Word, his heart for the men of God, for the for the body as a whole, his his vision for for ministry and reaching the community. Uh, we share the same heart, and it was such a pleasure, such an encouragement. And for those that came to church on Sunday, you saw just a little taste of what we experienced at the retreat with Pastor Dan. Okay, well, all that to say one more time. One more time, let me give the, the phone numbers, 210 Two one zero three four zero ninety five eighty five and eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. That's the toll free number if you're out of the area. Eight seven seven six three zero five seven five seven. And if you, one more thing, if you didn't see the Sunday message, yesterday's message here at church, it's available online at our website and through the app. Pastor Diane did an amazing job. Again, encouraging the body. Okay, our first question. This actually is an overflow question from the men's retreat. At the men's retreat, we have a Q&A session. Also do the radio show there. So some of the questions that were submitted. Uh, 
were not able to be addressed, so what we do is just carry them over here to this show. The first one from the men's retreat, an anonymous question. Did the people that were resurrected in Matthew chapter 27, verse 53, die again? This is, an, is this an example of what the rapture will be like? Your opinions, please. Well, the answer to your question is no, Anonymous. And, and let me just turn there real quickly, because Matthew chapter 27 is at the time of Jesus' death. In fact, it's the actual crucifixion, if I, if I remember correctly. So 27 verse, you said verse 53. I'm just going to read it. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 53. One more page. Okay, here we go. Verse 52, I'll step, do one st- uh, verse back just to set context. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And so I I think the answer to your question, Anonymous, is right there in the verse. Your question was, did the people that were resurrected in Matthew 27 die, uh, 2753, die again? Yes, they had to. Now, your second question, is this an example of what the rapture will look like? No, not quite. And let me explain. Verse 51, we'll go back one more, one more verse. It says, At the moment of the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. Now, between verse 51 and the next verse, verse 52, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people had died or raised to life. There's a gap between... 51 and 52. What that gap was, was the time between the crucifixion and the time of the resurrection. So this is interesting because Matthew is the only one, the only gospel that really records this event, this particular event in verse 53. And we're not to understand that the veil was torn and the earth shook on the same day. The veil was torn on the day that Jesus died, and then the earth shook at the same time as the tombs breaking open. So that would be uh, after the resurrection. And the next verse explains that very clearly because the next verse says in verse 53, the two, the, they came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So there's a couple of things to remember here. Contextually, remember that the the Jewish tombs are not like what we envision tombs to be like. You know, we think of cemeteries and gravestones and, and, and coffins planted in the earth or dug into the earth and, and filled in with dirt. What they had were tombs carved out of rock. And there were stones that were rolled over the entrance to the tomb. And when the earthquake took place, that was the same day as the veil that was torn. The large stones were shaken because of the earthquake and as a result were rolled away. And so the... the, the Greek here is interesting because it actually means that they were made to appear. Their bodies were made to appear. And what happened was the bodies of those righteous that were already dead in the past, they became exposed because the tombs were open and the stones rolled away. Now, This is significant because in Jewish culture, this would be very undignified, exposure of of bodies. But what what would happen then is that those bodies being exposed at the resurrection of Jesus would come alive. 
then it would go into the city. That's why there's a gap between verse 51 and verse 52. And in verse 53, these people who were resurrected would go into the holy city and appeared to many people. I think this is an amazing thing to consider. These people that were once dead came alive for a time, came alive for the purpose of being witnesses for Jesus. And they would go back into the city, the city in which they used to live. They would go back into and see the people, interact with the people, the people that they used to see, maybe even relatives, for the single purpose of sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with them. This is why this the, the, the resurrection is such a significant moment in the history of mankind. And that's exactly what they would be going into the city. So that's your first question. The, the people that died, uh, that were resurrected, would die again. Because their resurrection was a... Well, they would die again physically because it was not to receive their glorified bodies. It was just for a time. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how much time that was. But they had to die again so that they could receive their glorified bodies. Now, your second question, is this an example of what the rapture will be like? Well, yes and no. Uh, not really because... Again, they would die physically. At the rapture, we who are alive will be transformed, be caught up in the air and transformed and receive our glorified bodies to be with Jesus forever. Those who had died would have their glorified bodies as well. And so that would be the key difference because in the rapture, when we receive our bodies, we'll be together with Jesus forever. These people, though quite the supernatural event that the resurrection of Jesus Christ were resurrected only for a time, and then they would die again. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Anonymous, for your question from the retreat, and I hope you had a wonderful time. Okay. Next question is from Dominic. Uh, I'm a Christian, and I do have a relationship with God. I'm also a boxer, and I love what I do. I want to be a professional boxer one day, but I was told by a leader in our church that found out I was a boxer that because I'm a Christian now, I shouldn't continue boxing. And if I continue boxing, I'll be sinning against God is this true and should I stop boxing? Or is this false and should I continue boxing? This hurts because, again, I love what I do. Dominic, I, I answered a similar question to this before, and, and really this principle applies not just to boxing, but to everything you do, anything that a new Christian does. I love the fact that you're even prayerfully considering what your life should look like after being a born-again Christian. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family. I'm glad that you are a Christian and that you, you have been born again. And the evidence or the, the, the fact that you are saying, Jesus, my life belongs to you. You tell me what it is you want me to do with my time, the time that I have left. And Figuratively, Dominic, you're putting everything out on the table and you're letting Jesus put those things in your hand that he wants you to cling on to. And God bless you for that. That's exactly what we should be doing. Now, on to your question. I was told by a leader in our church that found out I was a boxer that because I'm a Christian now, I shouldn't continue boxing. Unfortunately, that's uh, without any further context, that's just bad counsel. Uh, boxing is not a sin. Boxing is a sport. Now, it is a physical sport. But the, 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 the sport of boxing is not sin. And the fact that you, you went on to say that if 
this person gave you counsel that said, if I continue to box, I'll be sinning against God. That's not true. That's simply not true. Whatever you do, you do unto the Lord. That's what Paul would write to the Colossians. That's the motto of our school. That would apply if you worked as an accountant. You do your accounting unto the Lord. And it applies to your boxing. Now, if the Lord tells you that he wants you to stop boxing, that's something completely different. If the Lord reveals to you that boxing is something he does not want you to continue doing, then on that basis and that basis alone, you stop. Because for you, it would be sin. That's what Romans chapter 14 tells us. But if the Lord wants to use your boxing as a platform to reach others, that would be great. In fact, we see that time and time again. We've got uh, one of our Calvary pastors um, in the North Austin area that has a boxing gym that he uses as an outreach ministry. His church meets inside of a gym, a boxing gym. And and Pete, uh, Pastor Pete Arciniega there in uh, in the north part of Austin, uh, northeast part of Austin, that's where he, I think it's in Bastrop, but that's where he uh, has his church, but also has his ministry. And I think, Dominic, this is the key thing that I want you to, to take away from this. Whatever it is you do, the motive behind what you do is much more important than the way you physically do it or the way you carry it out. Because... If you continue boxing with a heart that says, this is what the Lord told me to do, well, guess what? It looks exactly the same on the outside if the Lord told you to stop boxing and you continue to do so. You can't tell. It's the motive that matters. So your last question was, is this false and should I continue boxing? Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. Before you take the counsel of people, you ask Jesus, and by the power of his Spirit, he will speak to you and give you direction. He may say continue, like I said, or he may say stop. Well, whatever he asks you to do, you do it in faith. And that's all I can tell you, Dominic. Uh, tangentially related to this, um, I think this is important. You know, people have a lot of opinions. A lot of people, everyone has an opinion about something. And and that's inescapable. We look at politics, we look at the news, we look at everything that's going around us. And it's, it's naive to think that every single person is not going to have their own opinion. However, when you start projecting your opinion on somebody else, it becomes, uh, uh, and you force them to be obedient to your own personal conviction, that's when it becomes legalistic. And you don't want to do that. So, Dominic, I, I hope that helps. Not only do we have Pastor Pete up in uh, Bastrop uh, with his church there in a the boxing gym, we have Pastor Chris, our, our junior high pastor, is a boxing coach. He actually is a boxing coach here in town. So, uh, and and he, I, I love how he uses a lot of his boxing uh, coach coaching in the, the the things that he teaches and the principles that he teaches translates seamlessly into sermon illustrations all the time. So I love that. Yeah, the, Dominic, thank you for your question, and I hope that helps. We are just inside two minutes, so I'm not going to take another question um, on this half of the show, but I do want to elaborate just a little bit more on, on Dominic's question. Again, he didn't ask it, but it is tangentially related. Uh, one of the things that we want to do as Christians is this. We want to get out of the Holy Spirit's way. Get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. He has 
a calling and a purpose and a plan for each one of us who are born again. And when people offer their opinions, unsolicited opinions, it can often hinder what the Lord wants to do. Somebody comes to you for for some guidance, biblical counseling. That's a great thing. But you want to give them God's word. You want to tell them what the word of God says. And I love how God gives each one of us gifts when we become born again, gifts that would be used for the edification of the body. And if I tried to force my gift to be like yours, it would be weird. It would be very weird. So, Dominic, I, I hope that really helps you. And to anybody else that's considering, you know, this question comes up with other martial arts. And Calvary Chapel, the history of Calvary Chapel, is founded on pastors who, some of them did martial arts to the glory of God, took out all of the, the pagan stuff, and then used the principle to teach the Bible. Well, okay, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the first half of the Word to Stand On for Life on the Monday edition. I will be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Monday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado. This week, I'll be filling in for Pastor Ron. And if you're just tuning in, let me explain why. Uh, Pastor Ron and Paula are out of town, and Pastor Ron scheduled uh, a quick getaway to celebrate their 50th anniversary. That's right, 50 years of being married, and you've heard them here on the date, the edition. Uh, It sounds like they just got married yesterday. They love each other. They have fun with each other. It's all because of Jesus. And so they've took, taken some time away this week, actually, to spend time with their kids, their families, but really to spend time with each other, celebrating what Jesus has done 50 years. Congratulations, Pastor Ron and Paula. They will be back, or he will be back here on the air next Monday. In the meantime, I'll continue filling in for him. Let me give you the phone numbers, 210 340 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, if you're out of the area, is 877-630-5757. 877-630-5757. The email address, if you want to submit questions that way, is questions at calvarysa.com. Questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, we have our church app. You can submit questions that way uh, if you want to. We also have the KSLR app you're welcome to use if you want to call directly into the radio station. It's easier if you're in your car, so go ahead and take advantage of that. Okay, let's move on to the next question. It's from Tim. This one's a little bit longer. I'll just read through it as fast as quickly as I can. I'm having trouble in my marriage. Whenever my wife and I have disagreements, I always open the Bible and decide that I want to agree with what the Bible says. And whenever I do that, me and her seem to have peace and agree with Jesus for that moment. But then later, she will often come to me and tell me she went and told her friends from church about our problems that I thought we had already fixed with the Bible, and the friends that she's telling our business to seem to give her different advice than what me and her originally agreed on with the Bible. And then we start to experience problems in our marriage again. It almost seems like a never-ending cycle with her involving other people in our business after God already fixes it. I pray for her, and I tell her it's no one else's business, but she keeps on doing it. Can you please advise me if I'm wrong and if there's anything else I can say or do? Tim, this is a really difficult thing. Um, your approach 
to resolving issues in your marriage is correct. You're using the Bible as the authority. You're letting the Holy Spirit speak to your hearts, both to you and your wife. And and that's exactly what you should be doing. Now, what's happening after that is what's causing problems. Uh, when your wife goes and talks to, in, in this case, she's talking to other people in church and and really gossiping about your marital problems, that's inappropriate. And, and that's really sinful behavior. Um, what you need to do, Tim, is have a clear discussion with your wife about this, and it sounds like you already have, if it persists and she doesn't think that there's an issue with talking to people at church um, with, or really not just at church, but anybody else, relatives or, 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 or in-laws, uh, talking to anybody outside of your marriage about your marital issues is wrong. And and it is no coincidence, Tim, that once that starts to happen and the conversations occur that include private issues, it is no coincidence that that's when the problems begin again. So, Tim, if if you sit down with your wife and you, not in an angry way, would you tell her, this is the wrong thing to do, to go outside and talk uh, about what our issues are when God has already dealt with them. Now, I will add this, Tim, and, and you don't say this in your question, but there are cases where it would be appropriate for the wife to go and, and tell one of the pastors, hey, um, you know, or one of the pastor's wives, what we talked about in your counseling session is it, it's not taking place. Well, then that would be appropriate to have a follow-up conversation. But these are never things that you're at liberty to discuss publicly uh, discuss with people at church or, as as you say, at, at friends, or God forbid, even something on social media. That would be the worst. These things are dealt with internally, privately, and as the Holy Spirit works through the husband and the wife, and that allows God to do the work that he wants to do. And once you start to involve other people, it gets really, really difficult. So, Tim, I would set up a counseling session with your pastor and uh, tell your wife that if this continues, this, this is something that, that you're, you think is required because you're going to have to introduce some uh, counseling session with some authority from your church and... Uh, Contact your pastor and just, just let him know. Not because you want to get her in trouble, but because you want to let the Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do. And this has got to happen soon, Tim. This isn't something that you can let linger because it will turn into something that grows out of control. You will start to harbor bitterness and resentment towards your wife. Your wife will continue having conversations outside and, and, and the giving opportunity for her to hear, to listen to other voices that are not from the Lord. Well-intended people say damaging things, especially when they're involved in things that are none of their business. And so, Tim, I'll be praying for you and your wife, but please, you asked for advice uh, advise me if I'm wrong. You said you're not wrong. Uh, there's anything else you can do? Yes, you can sit down with your wife and look her in the eye, grab her hands, tell her how much you love her and how much she means to you. And because of that, you 
you're not going to let anything from outside the marriage be an opportunity for the enemy to mess with the marriage. And so the the discussion about private marital issues has got to stop. And like I said, if it doesn't, then go contact your pastor and see if you can set up a counseling session. Oh, thing, uh, Tim, thank you for your question. Uh, it's it's a really difficult one because not a difficult one to answer. It's a difficult one to deal with because I I understand why people want to talk. Sometimes, um, and it's not just women. Uh, sometimes um, talking and, and and using other people as a sounding board would give you things that you've never thought about. I, I understand that in a workplace environment when it comes to work-related things. You're actually brainstorming. But in a marriage and when it comes to dealing with private issues, that's the exact opposite of what you want. You don't want that. And so, uh, Tim, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Okay, next question is another one from the Men's Retreat. This one is also from Anonymous, and it says, In Second Kings, in Second Kings, is chapter 8 out of chronological order? It seems that Gehazi, or Gehazi, does not have leprosy. Uh, anonymous, yes, you're, you're correct. And in fact, in Second Kings, on our Wednesday study, Pastor Ron said that exact same thing. Chapter 8 of Second Kings actually took place before Naaman's healing in chapter 5. So that portion is not in chronological order. And, and we know this because in chapter 8, when Gehazi is there, uh, he's standing before the king. The king would never allow a leper in his presence. That much is true. In fact, interesting thing here, Gehazi, after the end of chapter 5, and if you know the story of Naaman, remember when Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy, Gehazi wanted to uh, receive benefits from that because he thought that the man of God was much too lenient on Gehazi, uh, much too lenient on Naaman by not accepting the, the, the gifts that Naaman was offering. And so Gehazi followed up privately with Naaman and said, hey, I'll take those gifts. Yeah, we could use them, my translation, of course. But that's what he did. And when he went back into Elisha's presence, and Elisha had already known what Gehazi did, Gehazi tried to lie about it. After lying and denying it, uh, it became apparent that Elisha already knew everything that was going on. He says, wasn't I with you in spirit when you were talking to him? And then at that moment, at the end of chapter 5, Gehazi becomes leprous, and he isn't mentioned again after that. So in chapter 8, when you're reading about Gehazi, it is before chapter, uh, I'm sorry, it is before chapter 5, chronologically. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you, Anonymous. That's a, that is a good observation. It's, it's interesting, too, because one of the things you want to do when you study the Bible is, is, Read it in its context. And when you are focused too much on the, the passages, you will sometimes lose the context when you force it into a chronological order. And in this case, though not too common in Second Kings, it's one of those places where there are, there are a couple of them, but the, the, it's one of those cases where it is not in chronological order. You know, Pastor Ron mentioned this too about Gehazi. It's, it's, it baffles my mind. And I consider his 
job, his his ministry, if you will, he was a, I mean, he occupied the seat of a really a position that a lot of people coveted. So many people wanted to be Elisha's sidekick, his servant, his right-hand man. In the same way that Elisha was the, the right-hand man to Elijah, well, Gehazi had the same opportunity because that's who he was to Elisha. But because he took his eyes off of God and focused so much on the surrounding circumstances, in his mind, if you read through chapter 5, in his mind, Gehazi uh, thought he was doing a good thing. He thought what he was doing was actually right. Now, the fact that he had to lie and to conceal it and deny it, I guess he overlooked that part. But obviously it was wrong for him to do that. And when it became apparent that he would have to lie and he he would have to be deceptive, in order to do what he was intending to do, and by that I mean get the the spoil from Naaman that he was offering, he still didn't change his mind. You know, I was reading something out of uh, a passage out of John chapter 14 when when Jesus was speaking to Philip, I think in verse 9. And and. After Philip had said, you know, just show us the Father, Jesus, and and Jesus' reply was, how long have I been with you and you still don't know, Philip? Gehazi has been with Elisha for, for quite some time, watching the hand of God. Remember, Elisha asked for a double portion blessing of Elijah. That means effectively the miraculous that God accomplished through Elisha was double, and that's exactly what the the Bible chronicles. Now, Gehazi didn't see all of them, but he would see that the hand of God was upon Elisha, but he took his eyes off of Jesus effectively. And he turned his eyes onto something else. And I and everyone else here, those of us who are born again, are not exempt from that same temptation. Every single day we are distracted by things that want to take our eyes off of Jesus. And the lesson we can learn from Gehazi here is that if we do take our eyes off of Jesus, we put ourselves in a dangerous position. Dangerous position. So thank you again for that question. Uh, The next one is from, the name is Concerned Friend. Hello, I have a friend that says she is a believer in Jesus, but is in a lesbian relationship with another woman. She said that God accepts us the way we are because Jesus died for our sins and God is love, so he will accept us no matter what. That just didn't make sense to me. Can you please explain what this means? Concerned friend, you are absolutely right. Your friend is completely wrong and and brainwashed even. This concept of love, she has fallen for the trap that the enemy has set hook, line, and sinker, this definition of love and that God is love and love is love is is simply a misrepresentation of who God is. She doesn't know Jesus. She may say that she does. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5 are two of many passages that explicitly say 
Those who live like this will not see the kingdom of God. Like what? And in both of those passages, list sin. Greed, sexual morality, murderous, liars. People who live like this, that's the key. That's what differentiates the occasional momentary lapse of the flesh versus a lifestyle of sin. A lifestyle of sin is one who is unrepentant in the way that they live, and they live continuously in a place where they know they're violating what God has commanded. They know that they're living in opposition to God, but they don't care. Versus the one who is born again, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And when we do sin, the Spirit of God convicts us and says, hey, what you just said, what you just did, what you just thought was wrong. And you need to repent. And the person who belongs to Jesus will repent of their sin. Great illustration that Pastor Dan used in our men's retreat this past weekend. You'll turn around, turn from your sin and make a 180 turn and face Jesus. That means you're going in the completely opposite direction. So if your friend says she's a believer, but is living in a lesbian relationship with another woman, she can say anything she wants, but she's not a believer. So what you should do is stop the, the argument about anything the Bible says about homosexuality or sexual morality and tell her that she needs to be born again. If she says that she is, you tell her she, she can't be because those who live like this will not see the kingdom of God. Jesus loves us way too much to let us stay in our sin. So once we become born again, we are forgiven of our sin cleansed of all unrighteousness, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. And and practically what that means, concerned friend, is that what we think, what our opinions are, what we feel, it doesn't matter. We go by what Jesus says because he's the boss. He's the boss of my life. I surrender my life to him. And what he says is what I live my life according to. So, concerned friend, I'm glad that you are concerned. Continue to share Jesus with your friend and don't let her have any inkling of thinking that she's okay with God. She's not. But did you want her to be? Okay, next question is another one from the men's retreat. This one also was anonymous. Uh, I had a brother... Question me, why I don't give all into Christ's hands? Because I plan for my death to take care of my wife and kids. If God has given so much, shouldn't I take care of treasures given to me? Well, Anonymous, you're not wrong. And whatever counsel your friend said here... He's saying that you don't give all into Christ's hands because you're planning for your death. And I'm taking this to mean that you're making accommodations, financial accommodations, so that your wife doesn't have to deal with them. This is responsibility. And responsibility is, uh, again, Pastor Dan said at the retreat, Pastor, Pastor Dan said responsibility is not idolatry. In fact, Being a good steward, taking care of the things that God has entrusted to your care is being obedient. So taking out a life insurance policy, uh, planning, making, making arrangements for what happens after you pass away. It's, it's not the same thing as not 
giving all things into Christ's hands. In fact, it, it means you're being a good steward with the things entrusted to you. So your brother that questioned you, I would, uh, uh, if I were you, I would clarify to him exactly what you are doing and why you're doing it. And maybe he could learn that uh, taking care of your family and, and, and having the burden removed from them, that they would be able to at least function at some capacity after you're gone is not a lack of faith at all. It is being a good steward and being responsible. And and there was a similar question at the retreat. I don't know if, I don't think it was worded exactly like this, but uh, the misunderstanding that uh, insurance policies and, 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 and making arrangements to have your family taken care of is a lack of trust is simply not true. Now, again, you're not going to go to extremes and, and and pour everything into that, but simply making accommodations is the most loving thing you can do because it's one less thing that your wife has to worry about when you're not here anymore. Believe me, that's a demonstration of love. Well, you can hear the music. That means we are at the end of the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'll be filling in for Pastor On here tomorrow at The Word to Stand On for Life. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.